Welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast, the podcast for modern thinking recruiters that really gets to the bottom of how to create success within the recruitment industry. My name is Ben Shorter and I am your host. This is episode two. And in this episode, what I'm really going to talk about is what do I think good recruitment looks like? What's changed in the industry? And then what can you do to enable yourself to be successful within this industry? What different commonalities are there between successful recruiters? When I look at what do I think good recruitment is, it's adding value to your candidates and your clients. It's leaving them both with a really positive, like customer experience. Now, ultimately, recruitment's a weird world. Like in some way, like our clients ultimately pay the invoices. They're our ultimate customers. But to enable that process to happen, we also have to serve the candidates as well. So even though the candidate isn't technically our client because they're not the one paying the invoice, ultimately that invoice wouldn't necessarily happen without or that invoice wouldn't happen without that person being involved. And in a way, that's why when I look at what good recruitment is, it is very centric to both the client and the candidate. For recruitment to happen well, we really have to understand both. We have to understand what both the client and the candidate really want. What do they need? What's important to them? What's not important to them? What does success look like within their eyes? For me now, being a good recruiter is really having that value-orientated approach to both your candidates and your clients. While you make the fee based on the placement, in terms of the process to get there nowadays, it's a bit more complicated. Like clients and candidates expect more from you. We're in a really saturated marketplace. Within the UK, there's over 40,000 registered recruitment agencies. And yes, that's gonna change over the next couple of years. And no one knows how it's going to change. Yes, some companies can go bust, particularly in a more uncertain economic climate, but ultimately more people are setting up by themselves. Becoming and owning a recruitment business is very accessible. You need a phone and a laptop, according to my mum. Now, obviously, it's a bit more complicated than that, but where there is so much saturation now, Clients and candidates expect more from you. You need to do more to stand out. Obviously, one of the things, and this is fundamental to me in terms of my values as a person, is being honest and ethical. Like I've heard some horror stories about back in the day. I've heard of candidates being paid £200 a day and a recruiter charging £1,000 a day, which is like outrageous. It's craziness. Like that recruitment consultant hasn't delivered so much value that he deserves to generate more than the candidate does for doing the actual contracting. Like to me, that isn't necessarily ethical. It's, it's not how I perceive good recruitment. Now, don't get me wrong. I do, uh, recruitment is intrinsically linked to profitability. I think profitability within business is it, how businesses work. It's how businesses survive. I also believe, and it's why I love the recruitment industry as well, that you can be profitable whilst being very honest and ethical. Like ultimately, if you deliver great value to your candidates, they recommend people to you. Particularly in an industry where there, are, there is such a low level in terms of benchmarks. 
Like, it, there's such an easy entry point that the main differentiator is how you're perceived within your marketplace. So if you have a great perception amongst your candidates, they'll refer people to you. They will actually highlight that to businesses. And equally, if you're adding value to businesses, they will see your fee as justified. To me, throwing CVs at something and charging 10% is less worth it than actually doing a really good recruitment process and really mapping your marketplace, looking at where to source candidates, creating a real structured interview process around that, ensuring that the client is looking for the right thing so that they can find the right candidate. And I think it's better for a client to pay 20% or more if a service is great versus paying 10% for something a shit, something where there hasn't really been a process. It's almost, there's a client of mine who calls it chimpanzee recruitment, throwing shit at the wall, uh, shit at the wall. And ultimately, I don't, I don't think that's good. But I think nowadays, you can have that high fee, but you need to add so much value towards your candidates and your clients. And I think one thing that we can do now is utilize content marketing or conversations to add real specific value to candidates. You can say that this is specifically what's happening in your marketplace. So for example, uh, one of my clients uh, deals with different high level niche IT roles around Europe. And what they're able to do is say to a, a consult, uh, a, a candidate basically, in this particular country, you're able to earn this amount per hour, but the living costs are this much compared to this other country where the earnings are higher, but the living costs are higher. So they're able to really understand, okay, what does that candidate want in terms of lifestyle? What's important to them? In maybe the, the smaller countries with the lower rates, they might not be able to work for a brand of that status, but they have a better work-life balance. So to me, when I look at good recruitment now, it's a recruiter who's been honest and ethical and giving value, being really value orientated to both the candidates and clients. So these are people that really understand their industry. They understand both on an individual level, so they get to understand the individual client or candidates that they work with, but equally on a wider level, they understand their candidate marketplace. They understand what people want nowadays, what they don't want nowadays. And they understand the same for their client marketplace. They understand how different businesses work, how different businesses are growing. They understand different technologies or processes involved in the industry that create efficiencies. Like I remember doing warehouse recruitment. I walked into a warehouse once and what this warehouse would do is effectively packing magazines. So I did a lot of pick and pack type recruitment. And ultimately, this production line that they had in front of me was set up in the most random way. And I remember chatting to the sort of team leader and it was just a new project and they thought about different things. So we had like a 15 minute chat and I shared with him different things that I'd seen at two other warehouses recently. And then I remember going in there a week later to drop off some temps and he's like, Ben, all right, we, we, we followed what you said and these are the things we added in. And this is how much faster, this is how much more efficient we are at packing this particular item. Like my boss is loving me. And I think for me, that 
that experience stayed with me. I understand that if I'm able to support someone to get more of a result, that ultimately that person is going to have a more positive experience with me. In terms of the industry, one of the recruitment industries changed a lot over the last like 15 years that I've seen it. At first, it almost seemed, okay, this is my experience anyway, it seemed very linear in how to succeed. So I used to be on the phone a hell of a lot, speak to as many candidates as I could face-to-face, -face, go, go to visit lots of clients. Whereas nowadays, there are different, different things that we can do to be successful. I know, um, particularly out of people that I've trained over the last couple of years, I know one consultant that's just shit hot on LinkedIn. Like he's always commenting on decision makers. He, he always commenting on these candidate polls. He gets lots of engagement for content that he does. And what he's effectively doing is following up from that and building relationships, leveraging his content to get in one-to-one uh, -one conversations. Yet I know someone else who just smashes the phone all day long. Obviously, he, uh, he knows his marketplace, so he's, he's targeted in in who he approaches, but his viewpoint is that you get their numbers up and just be on the phone to them all day long, create conversations. I know someone else that leverages like Facebook groups in their community. So in fact, they're not on the phone all the time, except they, they will make one phone call and get five candidates because of their, their sort of how they networked within their marketplace. I think this is the thing, there's lots of different ways to be successful now in recruitment. So while for me there's a clear picture of what good is, what good, honest, ethical recruitment looks like, how to get there has changed. And I see so many differences and, and sometimes that can almost be overwhelming. Do we go and focus on building a really good social media profile? Do I spend lots of time understanding my marketplace? Do I spend lots of time on the phone? Reality is, particularly at first for a recruiter, you're going to have to do a mix and match of both. You're going to have to do lots of different things to really find out what creates your success. And one thing I'll say is it's about being self-evaluative. So always evaluating what you're doing and understanding, is it getting the result that you expect? One of the things that I've also seen, I suppose, change within recruitment is culturally, there's a different expectation now, like before... I don't know, it seemed that we just all went out all the time. Whereas now, a recruitment agency, they, they want to do their best to ensure that they're able to really give a good experience to all the different consultants that work within them. Because ultimately, if they give a good experience to their consultants, the consultants then give a good experience to their candidates and their clients. And I think one thing to be aware of in terms of creating success is being able to really understand what culture works for you. Like, I'm one of those. I'm competitive as fuck. Like, I like, Ben, here's a big target. Go and, go and figure it out. Whether that was in VHR. Okay, Ben, this is how many people we want you to create in terms of billers. And this is what we expect our billings to look like. To a deco group, this is what we expect in terms of feedback from training. To when I was a consultant. So I'm always driven by seeing big targets and things like that. I was talking to one of the consultants I've trained recently and he's not motivated by that at all. Like he's motivated 
because he likes placing candidates that he likes. He, he's motivated by helping them, by putting them into a job, by serving them. Some consultants are just in it for the money and others are in it for the lifestyle that they can create. And I think in terms of looking at what good is, you want to understand what good looks like to you. Whether that is not just in terms of how you do recruitment, but then equally, what, what type of environment do you want to work in? Because the more you understand yourself, the more able, you, I suppose, you are to succeed. I think this thing, it kind of caveats into, I suppose, the bulk of what I wanted this episode to, to be about is what then creates successful recruitment? What different commonalities are there with successful people within the recruitment industry? I think, firstly, you have to understand what success looks like for you. The marketplace has changed. Now, when I was first in the industry, uh, 21, 22, I was working 80, 90 hours a week. I don't work that now. Don't get me wrong, I still work hard. I'll probably average between sort of 40 and 60 hours a week, depending on how busy I am. But I also have time off. I make sure I switch off now. So when I talk about success, you wanna really define what does success look like for you? Success isn't just money, success is plenty of lots of like plenty of different things it's very individual one of the things that i'm a very goal oriented person so when i was working in recruitment as a consultant i remember once one of the businesses that i worked in loved the fact that I had all these pictures of things that i wanted i was very almost materialistic back then whereas now i suppose i've changed a lot like when i look at success it is the work-life balance that I have. It's doing things that I enjoy, but still doing things that challenge me. But then equally is that competitiveness of, these are either financial targets or tangible, quantifiable targets that I have, and this is how I'm measuring that, those targets and how I'm performing against them. So you really wanna understand, what does success look like for you? What's your why? Why do you do this? Why do you want this? And it, it's funny, like, when I think about the most successful consultants that I know, like, people that, who perceive themselves to be successful, whether that is someone that is a, a million pound biller, or whether that is someone that bills 150k a year, but they bill 150k a year for themselves. Like, people that see themselves as successful, also that they're on that level where they don't really have to worry about money anymore or choices that they make because of that performance within the recruitment industry. And one of the biggest commonalities that I see amongst them is they understand what success looks like to them and they understand what they're willing to sacrifice to allow that. Like I remember speaking to a million pound biller, like he's 26, worked in the recruitment industry since he was 19. And so it took him seven years to get to that point. And when I, when I spoke to him, obviously like there are points in which it looks glamorous, but he is staying in hotel rooms across Europe all the time. Like he'll have to fly to different countries at the drop of his hat, a uh, drop of a hat because of a client situation. And because of the type of business he wants to win, he does, he'll book it at meetings in Germany and then meetings in Croatia. 
So obviously, like he decided, okay, these are my particular goals that I want. But to get there, I'm willing to, to work for it. He spends a lot of time really understanding his marketplace. And that leads me on to someone else that I was talking to that obsesses over stuff. Now, he's someone whose team bills anywhere between sort of half a million and three quarters of a million a year. And it's him and usually a couple of sort of resources. And with that, the amount of time he invests in terms of understanding his clients and dealing with stuff, he's made that clear choice of, okay, this is, this is what I want to get financially from the industry. And to get that to that point, this is what I'm going to do. But then equally, I, I, I look at some other people who might earn less, but some of my friends, are, they're earning good money, but they're not putting in a huge time commitment. So they might have sacrificed two, three years of really hard work, but now they've eased off a bit. So when, when you think about success, always identify what's important to you. Like, what do you want to get from this? And often to create that is then building a belief structure that makes you think, okay, I can achieve this. Like if I look at, for me, what I want to achieve over the next 10 years, I've recently, well, not even recently, a year ago I invested into a recruitment business and something I'm looking to do more of. But I've decided for the next 10 years, I'm willing to, to work hard, willing to put the hours in. Because ultimately, I want to get to a place in sort of my mid-40s where I can step back a bit where I can just focus on running teams and maybe working on that more sort of part-time basis. One of the biggest, I suppose, gaps in, in some of the stuff that I see in terms of motivational speaking books and, and shit like that is people tend to want things a bit too quickly. Now, in the industry, particularly in recruitment, sometimes there are adver uh, adverts on Reed or any other job board that your OTE in recruitment's £100,000 a year. Not every recruitment consultant earns £100,000 a year. In fact, most don't. I actually, I never earn six figures as a consultant. I don't get me wrong, I've earned good money from a young age. I remember being 22 on 16 grand a year and then having 32 grand in bonuses. That was very good for me. But I've, I've certainly never earned a six figures uh, from it yet uh, but I think I then became I suppose aware of okay this is what I, it takes to, to earn these things so when I look at I suppose consultant salaries what I tend to see is people being able to earn sort of 40-50k a year in year sort of two and three and then get to sort of 60k a year plus from year three, again, depending on how much time and effort they put into it. And that's purely in a billing role. It's funny, but again, an expectation in the industry is the more experience you have, the more money you make. So obviously, if you look at, say, working in banking, you start at one level, then you go up, and then you go up, and you go up. But if you think about it in recruitment, often people start in their sales-based role, so they're selling. Now, there comes a pivot point in your career when you might decide that you want to manage someone. So you might take a step back. Like I took a, a jump in salary from being a recruiter to going and becoming a trainer. But I love training people. Like I was massively motivated by that. I spent my commission on some cool training courses. I loved it. And 
To be fair, over the last five years, I, I enjoy my day to day because I get to do what I enjoy doing. So in terms of being successful, just make sure you have that clear vision of what you want to achieve and create a belief structure that enables you to get there. The second thing, and I think this is crucial in terms of recruitment success, marketplace knowledge. Uh, marketplace knowledge is understanding both your clients and candidates on an individual level, but also in terms of a, a wider level. So understanding your candidate pools, understanding your client pools, the marketplace that they're in. So for example, in my second year of recruitment, I started placing a lot of forklift drivers. Not only did I know different licenses, but I would be able to go into a warehouse and then on site look at a truck and see whether it was a uh, battery powered, whether it was gas, electric, uh, whether it was a counterbalance truck, a reach truck, if it was a reach truck, how they measured reach. I remember once being on the client site and they were looking for a reach truck driver. And I said, out of the interest, the trucks that you've got, how do they gauge the, the height of the folks? And he said, Ben, no. No recruitment consultants ever asked me that before. Why do you ask? And I said, well, I work with one company where they have a video camera in the cabin. So the guys would do it purely on that. Whereas I know old school companies where the reach truck leans back and the drivers are doing it on site. Now, if your one is one of the ones that leans back and does it on site, that discounts a lot of drivers that you can have. Because quite frankly, if someone has been used to doing it purely on video, it's a different way of judging depth of perception. That won me that contract. The more you understand about your marketplace, the more value you can add to your candidates and your clients. You can say to a candidate that, I understand you want this much money, but unfortunately the market rates I'm seeing for these particular job roles are between this and this. Now to get the higher echelons, this is what that type of business are expecting from you. Unfortunately, you can't demonstrate that on your CV just yet. So to get to this point, I would recommend that you do X, Y, and Z. Equally, you can say to a client, I understand that you want a candidate that can do X, Y, and Z for this particular salary range. Unfortunately, candidates in that marketplace that have got X, Y, and Z tend to get paid here and between here and here. Now, here's some examples of different companies you might know recruiting at the moment and roughly what will they pay for that particular person. So what you can do is often two things. You can reduce what you're looking for from that candidate in terms of your expectations, or you could increase the fee. Or, sorry, increase the salary range. Or, as one of uh, my favourite trainees ever, Alex Perez, said, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. I think this is the thing, what I've seen a lot of new school recruiters really do is really immerse themselves within their marketplace. So for example, if you place into finance, understand what your candidate does on the day to day. Really take an interest in that. Understand what their job looks like. But also what does their boss's job look like? Where do they want to go? And why is that important? Because then you're able to direct people in a way that, that really works for them. And this is the thing, if they have a positive experience with you, they're more likely to refer you in the future. And then I suppose the final big commonality between successful recruiters is that ability to take action. 
Now, as I said, there's lots of different options to, to be a successful recruiter now. You can be there on the phone all the time. You can be on, on social media all the time. You can be recording content all the time. What doesn't work is faffing around and doing nothing. And it, it's funny, when you look at activity, activity isn't just linked to time. It, one of my friends was very senior within a, a recruitment business. So he was the operations director. And they were expanding their business. But the owner was a bit old school and said, look, this is a full-time job. However, this is back in 2016 when the marketplace was really, really good. Like, recruitment as an industry was doing well. Yes, it was saturated. But if you were doing well, you were doing well. And the owner said, look, this is a, a full-time position. However, my friend was really struggling to attract full-time employees of this particular thing. So he had this idea of bringing in part-time recruiters, particularly catering towards that sort of single parent marketplace. So he almost brought on this squad of single mums and literally they destroyed it. Because it, it's not about how much time you spend doing something, it's about how much action you take. And I saw this like single, single mum army, literally the, the amount of calls, the amount of things they would get done in that day, smashed what I would do. Like, don't get me wrong, I would do the same amount of activity, but I would do it in, in 12 hours, whereas they did it in six, seven. I think this is the thing. What's crucial is the actions that you take and understanding why you're taking a specific action. And if you're not sure what actions to take and what works for you, that's when you do want to speak to someone who's been there and done it. You want to go through what works for them so they can present you with different op options and different structures. So as I said, like, in terms of how you become successful, you want to really identify what success looks like for you. You want to know what you want to sacrifice to get there. You want to really understand your marketplace, understand your candidates, understand your clients, understand what's happening in your industry. Take a real active interest in it and then take as much action as possible. Because this is the thing, you're in a, a changing marketplace. Things are going to be changing a lot. And one thing, uh, I'll leave on, on three key points. Like, the rise of your personal brand in recruitment is becoming more and more important. Make sure you pay uh, attention to someone like Hishim uh, Azuz or Azuz Branding in terms of what you can do to take your personal brand to the next level. Because if you become that go-to person within your marketplace, you'll build a successful desk. Suddenly you'll have people go to you because they say, okay, this person is a leader in getting X type of candidates. Also, really think of the value that you can offer clients. Be inventive, be innovative. And I think we'll see like a rise of things like consult, consultancy agreements, where you're not just recruiting for a role, you're, you're supporting the delivery of a project. Now, if you're in that mindset of, as a recruiter, that's where suddenly you can start to add real difference to, to businesses. Because you're, you're not just placing people there for a fee, you're placing people to a business to complete a particular project. And the better you do at that, the more sort of necessary you are to that business. And I think how you leverage technology is going to change more and more. So obviously, I know people that get lost in LinkedIn without necessarily using it in an appropriate way. Technology's changing in recruitment. You could spend 10 minutes on LinkedIn a day and actually get more results than someone who spends two hours and not knowing what to do.
So what you want to do is be able to leverage different tools that are out there, whether that is tools to support lead generation, whether that is tools to support like candidate engagement, but equally understand this technology is great and automation is great. Personal relationships build value. So leverage technology to support your sort of admin tasks you're targeting. But remember, the more personal you get with someone, particularly now, the more likely they are to build a relationship with you. Automated messages don't work. Templates are really useful, but they have to be tailored towards the person that you're speaking to. I think that this is key in terms of the, the marketplace. Like, again, going back to the reason why I started the Millennial Recruiter podcast, I believe the industry has a lot to add to people. And I believe as an individual that there's so much that we can almost take from the recruitment industry as well. So not only do I value what the recruitment industry can give to businesses, I value what you can give me. Now, ultimately, like the world is your oyster within this industry and within this market. If you've got that clear idea of what you want, you can get there, but it takes the work. So it's making sure you take action and do whatever you can to consistently learn more, evaluate what you're doing well at, and then add to that. And I think ultimately invest in yourself, invest time in learning about your marketplace, about your candidates, about how you can be a better recruiter. Then ultimately you can achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. So I've been your host, Ben Shorter. This is episode two of the Millennial Recruiter podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn. Ben Shorter, S-H-O-R-T-E-R. Make sure you add me, send me any questions. Feel free to follow this on um, Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to it. And look, this is the last time you're going to hear a full podcast of me for a while. Because prior to recording this, I've already recorded 10 different interviews, which I'm going to be releasing over the coming weeks. So hopefully these interviews will add lots of value to you. I'm here to support. I love the recruitment industry and I love seeing honest and ethical recruiters succeed. That's what I'm here to do. So I hope that this episode has given you that and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you so much and have a great day.